Hey, everybody. Just a couple of reminders before we get into our episode here. First up, I have two new podcast series. Uh, the first is Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey, and the other is My Comic Shop Book Club. Uh, I hope that you will check them out if you haven't already. Uh, you can subscribe to the audio version on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, and please also subscribe to the Anthony Desiato YouTube channel for the video versions. Uh, my three original uh, documentaries are also available for free on my YouTube channel, uh, as well as some deleted scenes from My Comic Shop Country and a few other goodies. So, uh, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, okay, here's what's coming up this month on Digging for Kryptonite and my comic shop book club. So out today, February 3rd, on Digging for Kryptonite is a conversation with Craig Byrne. He's the editor-in-chief of the Smallville news site, Krypton Site. If you've ever had any interest in Smallville, I, I cannot <laughs> encourage you enough uh, to listen to this episode. It's really interesting. So that's out today on Digging for Kryptonite. And then next week on the 10th on My Comic Shop Book Club, we have a discussion of a pair of works by Kevin Smith. We're going to be talking about Daredevil, Guardian Devil, and Green Arrow Quiver. These are two of my all-time uh, favorite comic book stories uh, and among my favorite comic book stories for those particular characters as well. Uh, so that's coming up February 10th on My Comic Shop Book Club. The week after that, on the 17th, jumping back over to Digging for Kryptonite, comic book artist V. Ken Marion is going to join me. We're going to talk about the Jeff Loeb run on Superman Batman, uh, specifically the arcs Public Enemies, Supergirl, Absolute Power, and With a Vengeance. And then finally, at the end of the month on My Comic Shop Book Club, we have a discussion of the Jeff Loeb, Ed McGinnis run on Hulk, their Red Hulk saga. Uh, so at the end of the month, the Digging for Kryptonite and My Comic Shop Book Club have a little, little bit of a crossover there as we're talking about uh, Jeff Loeb's run on both of those books. Uh, so I really hope that you will check out uh, some or, or all of those episodes. And uh, as always, you know, if you enjoy what I do, if you want to support these podcast initiatives, I hope you'll consider signing up at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. Uh, your support really does go a long way towards uh, helping me cover the costs associated with all of these podcasts. And, uh, you know, you get a ton of extra content as well. Uh, we have a bunch of bonus content, uh, a bunch of bonus episodes specifically uh, that are available at the $1 level. Uh, then there are some some cool perks as you make your way up through the tiers. But at the $1 level are all of the uh, the extra podcast episodes. And I believe so strongly um, in this content that what I'm going to do for the month of February is uh, is offer a money back guarantee. So if you've been kind of thinking about the Patreon, but you weren't sure about taking the plunge, sign up during the month of February. If you're not satisfied with the offerings, shoot me an email, ask for a refund. I'll give you one. I'll refund your money for the month of February. No questions asked, okay? Uh, so I really hope that you will give it a shot. And who knows? You might like what's there and you might uh, stay on. But if not, that's perfectly fine, okay? Uh, so that's the Patreon page. And, uh, you know, with all these podcasts, My Comic Shop History, My Comic Shop Book Club, Digging for Kryptonite, you know, if you like what you hear, uh, you know, shares are always wonderful, whether you're sharing the episodes on social media or you're just telling someone about it who you think might enjoy it. That's always a wonderful way to help, you know, the show find new people. Um, and then more uh, specifically, if you are willing to take a minute, literally a minute, uh, to rate and review uh, these shows on Apple Podcasts. It really does help with the algorithm to help other people find the show. So again, if you're enjoying it, please consider taking a moment to uh, leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. All right, let's get into the show. Alternate Realities has been gone for over five years, but our community lasts forever. And now, in these dark times, the AR signal lights up the night sky and the old gang is ready to answer the call as we celebrate a year's worth of holidays together. This is The Longer Halloween. 
My Comic Shop History is brought to you by... The Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, The Hive is where to be. Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. Movie lovers should check out this family of film festivals. The Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City, the Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival in Asbury Park, and the Point Lookout Film Festival on Long Island. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Also, be sure to listen to the podcasts hosted by the festival's organizer, C.J. Cullen. You can find the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast, as well as the Cullen On Film podcast, via a shared universe network. Welcome to the Longer Halloween, a My Comic Shop history tale. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This is part five, Valentine's Day. And for this installment, I am joined by former Alternate Realities co-owner, Drew Cheskin. Drew, welcome. Hello, hello. How are you? Doing well, sir. It's good to it's good to see you. Uh, you know, one of the main reasons I wanted to do this cycle of episodes is to catch up with the AR crew. Yes, we've uh, unfortunately did not have our AR uh, Illuminati planning the ruling of the world uh, brunch this year because the world is falling apart because we didn't do a good job of planning last year. I know. You know, I was thinking about that. It's like, you know, as I've mentioned on the show before, like, right, we, we have this, you know, relatively new tradition, right, where uh, a small group of us will gather for brunch on New Year's Day. And, you know, again, we call ourselves the Illuminati, the AR Illuminati. And, uh, you know, the joke is like, oh, we meet to plan the future of the world. And it's like, yeah, man, we really dropped the ball last year, like in a major way. Yeah, we usually have a hard time planning how we're even going to divide the bill at the end of the meal. So <laughs> the whole year seems a little out of uh, out of reach for us, but we'll try. We'll try next year. <laughs> It was funny, though, because, you know, I, I texted you guys, you know, just to say, you know, assuming, assuming we weren't going to do it in light of, yeah. you know, the pandemic. And, and Brian O'Day writes back <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, I can't make it either. But if we do it a different day, I'll be able to come. And I don't know what your reaction was. I for, at first I was like, is he joking? And then I realized, like, no, like he really thought that this would potentially happen. The, there are two camps of people that have been dealing with the pandemic. There are those who, there doesn't seem to be middle ground. There's either those who are saying, I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what anybody does. I don't care if you're my last living relative. This is what we need to do to get out of this. And there are other people who take the pandemic seriously and understand it's real, but just won't take that ultimate step of saying, you know what, talking to you on the phone is good enough or seeing you via Zoom is good enough. I don't need to eat with you. I don't need to see you. I understand. I don't take it personally that I haven't seen you for a year. And, you know, he goes out to eat, eats outside. It's a little cold now, so he doesn't do it. But I've walked past him down Garth Road and he's with his mother eating. And I say, hi, I stand far away. I'm wearing my mask. Uh, but yeah, so, so he going out to do something would be like, yeah, as long as we're careful, that's fine. Me, forget it. I don't go anywhere. You know, I see my parents. I drive by the apartment and wave out the window. That's the thing. I mean, I, so I think, you know, you and I are, are, you know, pretty much aligned because that's the way we've been treating it. And the only person who's been in our 
pod is my mother-in-law. Uh, and she hasn't been with us the whole time. She kind of comes and goes, but like when she's back home in New Jersey, she's, you know, uh, you know, isolating and, and, you know, really following the, uh, the, the rules that we've laid out, but you know, that's it. And it's like, you know, it's, it's hard, like, you know, with, with my mom and, and our son, it's like, you know, we've had to just do everything outside and distance and it's not ideal, but it's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to take any chances. No, it's, it's not worth it. I mean, that's what people don't seem to understand. If people had followed the rules last year, it might not be where it is now. Now, look, the vaccine wouldn't have been developed any quicker, but we might not have, you know, 400,000 dead people on our hands and 4,000 a day dying at this point and everything else. It's, it, you know, it's one of those things where it's just, come on, people, this isn't a joke, you know? And, <laughs> well, no, you know, not to start on such a <laughs> such a serious note, but, you know, when I introduced you, I said, you know, former Alternate Realities co-owner, of course, but uh, two other uh, identifiers, uh, one would be wedding officiant. And, and honestly, that's why I had you on for the Valentine's episode, because you oh. might expect, like, why not just have <laughs> Steph on? And it's like, well, of course, that would make sense. But, I'm, you know, this cycle of episodes, you know, I really want to, again, catch up with the AR gang and make it AR centric. And I was like, well, all right, if it's not my wife, it's like, who else would be fitting for Valentine's Day? And it's like, well, you know, matters of the heart, alternate realities. It's like our wedding officiant. Um, but as far as, you know, why we're talking about COVID, I mean, besides the fact that it's, you know, affected all of us for over a year now, you had it. Yes. Both Gina and I. Oh, my goodness. And I know we texted know about it, but we haven't really had a conversation about it. I have to say that. Gina and I were very fortunate. Our cases were extremely mild. Um, I actually did go to the hospital. When did I really start? I started getting symptoms on a Tuesday. On Friday evening, before I had actually received a positive result and was technically just quarantining, I did actually go to the hospital because I felt like I was having heart palpitations. And for me, having had heart surgery and having heart issues, uh, it wasn't something to joke around about. So I went, they took all the tests. That's actually where I finally received a positive COVID result, but all my heart stuff was perfectly fine. And, you know, it might've just been my head that it was even happening. Maybe it was something, maybe I was breathing and I felt something in my lungs and thought it was heart palpitations. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, in terms of symptoms on my side, I had a fever for about 10 or 11 days straight. It was always in the evening I never even hit 101. I was at 100.5, 100.6. I think 100.8 is the highest I got. But I never lost sense of smell, never lost sense of taste, never had any of that stuff. Uh, Gina never had a fever, nothing. She got a sinus infection as a result of being sick and lost sense of smell and sense of taste. But realistically speaking, if COVID wasn't around and either of us felt the way we did, we would have thought, eh, maybe a very minor flu, maybe a bad cold, and that's about it. We didn't share any symptoms, no issues breathing, none of that stuff. So we got very lucky. But it goes to show that just because someone maybe feels okay doesn't mean they're not sick, and you can't use that as a guideline for, for hanging out with people. Oh, yeah, I feel fine, because you don't know who has what at any given time. You just The only way to know you're not going to get it or give it to somebody is just not interact with people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad you guys are okay. I'm glad, it, you know, you didn't have more severe cases. Um, 
but I, that's what's so scary about it is is that range of severity, you know. And um, you know, a, a friend of mine from high school actually was a, in my wedding party. Going back to the wedding, uh, but but he's a doctor and he's been treating you know COVID patients for the past year. And I remember one of our earliest conversations about it. He was like, "Yeah, it's like again, some people have no symptoms. You know, some it's relatively mild, some severe, and and others, you know, people are dying. So it's you know, mm-hmm. so um, you know, just so difficult to you know to to predict." And where do you, where you got it from work, you think? Yeah, I'm pretty sure because I, I was told on a Monday morning by my office that I needed to go get tested because a coworker of mine had tested positive, uh, I think actually that Monday morning, but he had started feeling ill the previous Friday and I had been working with him on Friday. So, but another coworker of ours, so there was three of us, there was actually four of us working together, but the three of us that actually ended up having it one of us was completely asymptomatic, zero, nothing. Went, got tested. There was nothing. He didn't feel ill at all. He kept working because the CDC guidelines basically said, if you feel okay and you get a negative test, don't worry about it. He ended up getting his wife sick. He ended up getting his father-in-law sick who lived with them. Luckily, his stepson did not get sick. Uh, but again, it was one of those things where he f- actually followed the proper guidelines he did the rapid testing. He did the PCR testing. They both came back negative. He felt fine. They said, okay, you know, go back to work. You're good. He was sick the whole time the same way that we were. He just wasn't showing. Jeez. No, it's, I mean, it's scary. I mean, I was, you know, I was worried for you guys, you know, especially again, knowing, you know, the heart issues that you've had, right? Because they say if you have pre-existing conditions, you know, it can, it yep. can really be challenging. And I was like, I was angry on, on your behalf. Cause it's like, I know, you know, from our text exchanges and like from seeing your Facebook posts and just knowing you generally, it's like, I know like, I know you're taking it seriously. I know you're not out partying on the weekend, you know? So it's like, oh man, like, you know, you're doing everything you can and like, you know, you still run into this. So. Yeah. The thing is funny. I'm actually, I don't want to say I'm glad I got sick because that's making light of it for people that really have paid, you know, the ultimate price for, for getting sick. But my parents and my brother, sister-in-law and niece have been being careful, but still get together with each other. And my, they'll still get together in my parents' apartment and they'll have meals together, this and that. And Gina and I absolutely refused. And I said, I'm not worried about me getting sick. I said, what if I'm sick and I get you guys sick? I said, I don't think I could deal with something happening to you guys if it's my fault. So when I suddenly got sick and I was able to go to them and say, you understand why now that I don't get together with you guys? And do you understand why I think you guys even getting together is not a good idea? Uh, they sort of understood it, but it it doesn't keep them from getting together, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, But I said, you know, imagine if it wasn't a Friday exposure that I had. Imagine if I got exposed Tuesday and my coworker didn't know he was sick until he took a test over the weekend. But meanwhile, we had gotten together over the weekend and I was already contagious. We might all have it. And one of us might be dead. I said, so to this day, I still take every precaution I can and I'm careful and I knock on wood that I got it and am okay as far as I know. Who knows what long-term uh, consequences might be of getting ill. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's no joke. I mean, it's not, you know, you just, you just you have to take it seriously because you don't know what's, what's going to happen. You could be the guy that gets that sixth bullet or the, the one bullet in the six-gun chamber, you know, six-chamber gun thing, Russian roulette's no good. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's like, uh, again, like my mom, for the most part, she's been on board and understands, you know, how, why we're approaching it the way we are. 
Um, but, you know, like, and she works at a school. So, you know, as much as they are, they're taking precautions, I mean, she's in that environment. And, you know, she said like, well, you know, I'll go get a test. And, you know, I'm look, I'm no scientist. I'm no doctor. But, you know, I've done the research and I've, you know, I've explained and she, you know, we're on the same page now. But, you know, I was like, you know, you could have it you know, these tests, like it takes a while for it to show up. So it's like if you were exposed on a Friday and you went to get the test that night or the next day, you know, you might have it, but it's not showing up on the test yet. You know, so you, you might you might be exposed Friday, have it take hold of you Sunday. You're contagious. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you don't start feeling bad until the following Tuesday. Uh, yeah, it's 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 not worth it. And actually, your mother is probably the same way that my parents are. We're not going to not see our granddaughter. I have. I'm, it's worth taking the risk to see my granddaughter. And I said, "Not if someone of you dies." <laughs> I said, "It wasn't worth the risk then. You got plenty of time. No one's going anywhere. It's completely within our control. It's not, you know, like my parents aren't going to work. I'm going to work. I have to go out. You know, they're retired. They stay home. I said, just stay home. Just don't do anything. Don't have anybody over. You know, you'll survive. Don't worry. But uh, yeah." what can I do? <laughs> and, uh, I know. Well, and, you know, and that's and going back to, you know, like our, our new year's brunch and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, you know, you can't control other people. And as much as you, know, you might want to, and as much as, you know, it's frustrating, especially when it's, you know, people in your circle. Um, but yeah, you know, you just do what you can. And that's why like for us, and like I said, like my mom understands, but like, you know, we were very clear, like, listen, this is, you know, what we're comfortable with, you know, for us, for, and for Milo, mo most of all, I mean, as much as, you know, you know, as they say, like, it's typically not severe in kids, but it's like, you don't know. And if he's the one, it's like, it's not worth taking the chance. And we don't know the long-term effects, like all that stuff. Well, that's just it. If, if it gets into him, he might not feel anything now, might not show anything, but how do you know that it's not affecting some developmental phase that he needs to go through and that five years from now or 10 years from now, he'll develop asthma because of it or he'll do something else. I mean, you don't, I mean, it could be something just so minor, but still why, why take the risk? It's the same reason when you were younger, like I'm going out with my friends. Where are you going? Yeah, we're just going out. How are you going to get home? I don't know. I'll figure it out. You no. Know, when you're crazy, you don't know how you're getting home. You're not going out. It's like, why take the risk? It's like, yeah, but this is like, why take the risk? You might die. <laughs> why take the risk? So I don't know. It, it really, it shows who, who are adults, who are the adults and the, you know, who are the kids now? And it's, you know. Yeah. Well, again, I, I'm glad that you and Gina are okay. I'm sorry you had to go through that, but I'm glad you're okay. And thank uh, you. Thank you. You know, it's like moving forward. A lot of the things that have been implemented during this period of time, you know, specifically the you know more stringent hygiene and cleaning and all. I hope that carries on. I mean, as you well know, like for years, years, whenever we have our alternate realities dinners, I'm the guy with the Purell. I'm always yeah. sanitizing my hands, but because it, it's like, you know, we all get together, we shake hands, we're touching the menu. It's like, there's no way I'm going to touch my face or touch food that's going into my mouth without washing my yeah. hands first. Well, you know me and I get made fun of. I even eat chicken wings off the bone with a fork and a knife. Yeah. Now, this is because of, of the career path that I've chosen dealing with hazardous materials and asbestos and lead and mold and everything else. And when it's time to take lunch, I don't care how much I wash my hands after playing with that stuff. I don't think my hands are clean. So I use utensils no matter what, but I get where you're coming from. I have a, a fellow that I used to work with years ago. I mean, this is, this is now, you know, 25, 30 years ago at this point, during one of my first jobs out of college, whenever he would eat a sandwich, he would never eat the last bite. He's like, well, this is where I, I hold it. So I'm not eating it. And it was like a religion to him, no matter what we were eating, it was pizza, whatever it was, that little bit of crust never got eaten. 
I used to be like, what's wrong with you, man? Just eat it. Is, you know, are you still hungry? It's like, I don't care if I'm hungry. I'm not eating it. So meanwhile, fast forward to this. I'm friends with him on Facebook. I sent him a message. I said, I have to apologize. I said, I used to think you were nuts. You were just years ahead of your time. You know, you knew what was coming. You know, he, he just started laughing about it. He said, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like nothing surprises me now. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. Uh, well, you know, on a happier note, I, again, going back to, you know, the brunch that wasn't, um, have you been keeping in touch with the rest of the AR crew to any extent? I've, I, I have been remiss at, with everything except for, you know, via uh, Facebook and whatnot and so forth. Um, actually, Tom gave me a call, sent me a text last week. He said, I'll give you a call this weekend. That was last weekend. I got to give him a call. I've been bad about that. I've just been, you know, running around doing my thing and, you know, sort of, I think everybody just sort of gets into homebody mode with this whole thing. And for you married with a kid, me married, it's probably a little bit easier to deal with it than people that are single. And if they're not going out and do anything, they're just literally isolated and on their own. So I can understand that. But I, you know, a little bit of Steve, I've been chatting with here and there and Brian a little bit and Tom a little bit, but not as much as I should. Definitely. And certainly not as much as when we all get together and go out and eat. Yeah. So I have to do better. Well, again, like that's why I know I keep saying it, but like that's why I wanted to do, you know, as much as it's like, yeah, you know, it'll be great to have new content to put out. But it's like I got other shows going. It's like I don't, you know, I don't have to do this, but it's like I just really from a personal standpoint, more than even more than a creative one, I was like, and again, I hate to say it like, oh, I need to be forced to, you know, to have a conversation like this. But it tends to not really, except with Rich, where we have our standard, you yeah. know, <laughs> weekend uh, phone call. But like, otherwise, it just tends to not happen. So I'm like, this way, you know, this puts a little bit of uh, structure to it and we schedule it and then it happens. And yeah, hopefully but, people enjoy it. But if they don't, I don't want to say yeah. I don't care, but it's like, <laughs> I, I kind of don't. <laughs> you know, it's it's more for us. But I, one last thing, though, with COVID, I will say to your, because I think this is an important point, like. I do, and I've really tried to keep this in mind, like throughout this whole point where, uh, you know, I do have my wife and we, we have our son and we've, Steph and I have been very fortunate that we've been able to work from home, work remotely this whole period. And I know like you're not in that position, like a lot of people either have to go in or have lost their jobs or have been furloughed or like all sorts of things. So, you know, I, I do understand that. And I do know that, you know, for people who, like you said, are single, you know, and really are isolated, like I know, like I know it's hard and I, you know, I am sympathetic to that. Um, and I do appreciate the position that, you know, we've been able to be in. Just to issue that disclaimer. Yes. Um, oh, so, you know, on the subject of Valentine's Day, I was thinking about it. It's it's crazy, like, how fast it goes and everything. For for us, our, like, one of, one of our last pre-COVID outings, if I'm remembering correctly, was Valentine's Day last year. We went... Was it for Rich's birthday? Well, it that just happened to be Valentine's that, Day. No, the, <laughs> no, that can, oh, you're right. Actually, yeah, no, you're right. The the rich birthday dinner was the end of February. You're right. Um, but as far as more of like a like a date night sort of thing, yeah, uh, was February was you know val around, it was either on or like right around Valentine's Day last year. Steph and I went to see Birds of Prey. Our last that was our last theatrical experience. Good lord. Uh, so we went to <laughs> see Birds of Prey, <laughs> and then we went. Uh, we did like happy hour at uh, at Morton's, which was very nice. So we had it. It was a nice time. But I was thinking, I was like, that was you know last Valentine's Day and one of our last outings. Crazy. Well, do you have have you given any thought to uh, how you guys might sell? Are, are you like into Valentine's Day or, or not so much? You know what? I I have to say that I am one of the luckiest men on earth, and that my wife. Uh, who I love dearly, she and I are not Hallmark holiday people. 
So we just look at each other a few weeks before whatever holiday is coming up. We're not getting each other anything, right? No, a card. If you see something funny, pick it up. But it, you know, we've we've reached old old couple status, or we sort of married into old couple status in that extent. But it's just because we, you know, it. You know, whenever you're were you ever younger and you said to your parents, I don't get it. Why is there a Mother's Day and there's a Father's Day, but there's no Children's Day? And of course, the comeback is, but every day is Children's Day. For us, every day is a holiday, so we don't need to celebrate uh, the Hallmark ones and buy the cards and this and that. We sort of do little stuff like that for each other all year round. That's very nice. And I think, you know, we kind of fall into that same camp generally because I was thinking about this. Like, we will make, you know, a lot more of an effort for our anniversary and for our birthdays. Like, we'll really treat each other and spoil ourselves and and all that stuff. Um, But, like, you know, for Valentine's Day in particular, I mean, we're not – like offended by the holiday, but you know, it is corporate and manufactured and, and we recognize that. So again, like last year we went out to eat and we, and we uh, went to the movies, but it wasn't like a, you know, we didn't make a, a huge thing out of it. Mm-hmm. I will say generally, especially, you know, well, I guess, especially after Milo and especially now being in, in quarantine and all this stuff, gift giving that we've gotten to the point now, not all the time, but numerous occasions where we'll just kind of you know, kind of like agree not to get each other something or decide to get something, you know, for us together. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we, we, uh, we actually ordered, uh, well, we ordered a Peloton bike, uh, for ourselves for Christmas, but then it got delayed and we ended up canceling it, but we got a different exercise bike instead. But so like, we'll do stuff like that. Cause especially now with not really being able to go out and it's like, I mean, I have one credit card that's like just mine that I could I could charge something to and she wouldn't know. We share an Amazon account. So it's like I can't order anything from there. Like it really, like it really limits really limits the ability to surprise, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, if you need something ordered, I'll order it for you. That's fine. Just let me know. That's true. That's always a way around it. Although uh, I did for her birthday, I got her, this was in December, I ordered her, there's this like uh, gourmet ice cream company called Salt and Straw. And they okay. have all these like different flavors and uh, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson is uh, one of the investors and he he came up with uh, like a handful of his uh, holiday flavors. And uh, and so I ordered that and it, and they came, you know, in the, you know, the uh, with the dry ice and all that stuff and it was good and we had fun trying the different ice cream. So that was like a little, what, know, little thing. Are they standard flavors or are they like flavors that are named after him? Those were yeah, they were uh is it like Dwayne the Rocky Road or something? I mean, is yeah, it's stuff like that. And well, he, yeah, and okay. in holiday time, he goes by Dwanta Claus. So there was a lot of like, I saw mommy kissing Dwanta Claus under the Christmas tree, like, you know, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, but it was good. And he's very entrepreneurial because I don't know if you know, but he also has a tequila company now. And one of the ice cream flavors was a uh, tequila eggnog. So he really, okay. he, he doesn't miss a beat, this guy. No. <laughs> he gets you coming and going. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, but uh, but that's great, and and you know I remain you know so happy for you and Gina, and it's funny I was thinking about this too, because I remember specifically when you guys started dating, because this was you know Tom Darby and I we were both April birthdays, we're five years apart, but April birthdays, and I remember it was my twenty fifth and his thirtieth, and yep. the you me Tom Brian I, and maybe one or two other people we went to the city. Uh, to yes. celebrate our birthdays. And I remember I drove you down and I remember you were in the car and I was thinking, like, what's new? And you're like, oh, like I started dating this woman in my building. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And so that was, you know, I'm 33 now. So we're to eight years. Yeah. 2012. Yep. April 
when did when was our first date? April fourth, I think, of that year. Something like that. Yeah, like literally, we had just started. I mean, we'd known each other and said hi to each other for like ten years before that. But you know, and I was always like, I'm not going to date somebody that lives in my building. What if it doesn't work? And then you hit, you know, you're 40 years old. You're like, what the hell do I care if I date somebody that doesn't work out? You know, you know, what's the difference? But it just you know happened to work out. Yeah. No. Again, I'm so happy for you. It's funny because like I. You always seem to me very content in your bachelorhood. You know, yes. you never struck me as someone who like like Ted Mosby from How I Met Your Mother, where it's like, oh, if I could only meet someone. <laughs> no, and, and I always used to say to people, that people always say, "Why are you so against marriage?" I said, "I'm not against marriage at all. I just don't feel like my life's going to be a failure if I don't get married." I said, "I'm not going to force it upon myself," and I think that's a reason why a lot of people get divorced and why things don't work out because they think they're supposed to do something. So they get married or they don't think about stuff. Luckily, Gina and I were both older. Again, I was 40. She was uh, younger than me. I won't say her age. And uh, and we, when we started dating, it's like, look, this is who I am. This is who you are. And does it work? Yes, it works. Great. You know, there wasn't any concern about uh, one of us was going to hold the other one back from a career or, you know, what happens if we have a kid? And this, I mean, you know, we knew we didn't want to have kids. Uh, so that wasn't an issue. So that really helped in that respect. That's why when we started dating each other, it was like, Hey, this is what it's going to be. Nothing much is really going to change per se. We're just going to get older, fatter and grayer hair. And that's about it. So that, that plan's working out perfectly. <laughs> Very nice. And I always say, I, you know, I, you know, cause we've had a few alternate realities weddings and they're all wonderful in their own way. Uh, yours, one of the ways yours has always stood out was the, the breakfast buffet, which, oh, yeah. As a fan of breakfast foods, you know, I, I, I wish we saw more of that at weddings because I loved it. <laughs> let, me let me tell you something. That that was a battle, not a battle with Gina. Gina was all for it. It was a battle with some family members who said, seriously, you're going to serve eggs to, to your wedding guests? So that's a little more than eggs and this and that. But I always used to joke around and sometimes Gina would get mad at me because the wedding was at, I think the ceremony was at like 1030 or 11 and then we were going to be done by four. And I used to tell people, I said, think of it this way. You're going to sleep till whenever you want. You're going to come over. We're going to have a ceremony. You're going to eat brunch, hang out and chat. You'll be home in time for the afternoon football game. And I always used to just say, it's just going to be nice and relaxed like that. And Gina would be like, what are you doing? It's our wedding and this and that. I said, yeah, but it is what it is. You got to advertise your, you know, to your, uh, your audience. So, uh, so, but we enjoy it. I don't even remember the food. I think I ate, but I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. I know it definitely, uh, you know, when you're the, when you're the wedding couple, it really, <laughs> it really, uh, can all blur, blur exactly. together. But, uh, no, it was great. And it was, yeah, it was at the, like the Scarsdale golf club, right? Scarsdale golf club, which is in Hartsdale, New York. So yeah. don't answer, don't ask you why that's like that. <laughs> but a very nice, so yeah, I mean, when we say breakfast, yeah, and it, it was, I mean, there was, it's funny, I don't remember all the specifics, but I definitely like eggs, pancakes, all the, all the breakfast trappings that you would, uh, that you would hope to see. Yeah, there was some, some, I remember there was some meats. I mean, there was a roast yeah. beef and turkey and yes. I mean, there was stuff so that if you didn't want to have literally eggs or pancakes, then that it was lunch type food as well. So on the subject of, of love, let's talk about a different kind of love. Gina will love this. Uh, Star Wars. Not yes. that they're not equal. Well, <laughs> they're not equal loves. They're different. They're no, different no, no. Love. They're I've different loved loves. Star Wars much longer than I love Gina. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, again, thinking about like, oh, things we could talk about. And um, this would have, I think this would have come to mind anyway. But it just so happens, like Steph and I very recently finished both seasons of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. Very good. 
So the the timing worked out. But I mean, honestly, you know, just as I know when people, you know, uh, you know, when Superman comes up, people in our group think of me. Similarly, whenever Star Wars, you know, comes up, it's like you're the you're my go to. You're the biggest Star Wars fan I know. Yeah, you know what? I grew up with it, like a, a lot of people in my generation. I was a little young for the theatrical releases. Born in '73, the first one was '77. I remember seeing it in the theaters, but upon looking back, they re-released it when The Empire Strikes Back came out. So I went and saw it. My father brought my brother and I to see it. I never saw Empire in the theaters, but I went to see Return of the Jedi like eight times when it came out. And I loved it. It was great. And then videotapes, I wore them out. It was crazy. But that's all there was. There was the action figures, of course. And you know, there was like the the holiday special, which you couldn't even get because it came out on TV in 78 or 79 and everyone hated it. So that was gone. And then uh, there was like the droids cartoon and this and that, but there was really nothing until the early nineties. And then books started coming out. I am not a reader. I like comic books because it's more photographs <laughs> than it is text. Um, I'm just not a reader, but I read the first few because it was one a year. So I can read one book a year. That's okay. And, uh, and then all this stuff started coming out, all these books and all these games and computer stuff and this and that. And I just couldn't keep up with it. It was crazy. But I still always had a love for the movies. And then, of course, the, the prequel movies came out, which I thought were horrendous. Uh, and Star Wars sort of stopped for a while. They were still had all these books coming out, but I didn't read them. But I would, you know, I'd buy the little anthology that explained who all the characters were. But I always loved it. But let me tell you something. When these newer movies came out over the last three or four years, I see the first one. I thought it was the worst thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I said, wow. I said, Star Wars, you know, between the original trilogy and the prequels, you could say, okay, Star Wars is still great. They just missed a little bit in the prequels. But all of a sudden it became, wow, you know what? It's not that Star Wars is great. It's that they made three kind of cool movies early on and the rest of it is just sort of, what the heck is this junk? Um, and I was really turned off on Star Wars for a while. I didn't even see the episode eight or nine in the theater. I didn't see any of them in the theaters. I waited for all of them on TV. Maybe Rogue One I saw in the theater, which I thought was fantastic. Mandalorian has brought back my love for Star Wars. Because to me, besides Rogue One... And I actually liked the solo movie also. Uh, it's really brought back the spirit of the original stuff. Like, you know, the, the space Western, as it were. And, uh, and of course, they mix in a lot of stuff from the, uh, the past movies and books and introduce all these characters from the, the cartoons were fantastic. Clone Wars or Rebels were great. It, it, it's when they allow people to, to really take the characters and do what they want, but there's a... a there's an overall theme or plot that's supposed to go. They can do a great job. Episodes seven, eight, and nine, where it's like, here's a director, do whatever you want to do with this, you know, without any design on what's supposed to happen over all three movies. It's like, come on, guys. You know, this is terrible. This is like DC. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I won't even mention Wonder Woman. The second one, Wonder Woman 84. I was not a fan at at all, man. Oh, I don't think anyone was. <laughs> I don't. I don't. No, that was uh, that was that was rough. That was bad. You know, not not to take off, not to take us on on too much of a tangent, but you know, it's like <laughs> I try. You know, I try to you know kind of check myself with 
like after watching Wonder Woman 84, because as you well know, I, you know, I am a fan. I'm a defender of Zack Snyder's take on these guys. I did a two hour podcast about it. It's out if anyone ever wants to listen. You know what, though? Funny enough, literally minutes before we started recording this, I got a message from uh, a listener of that Zack Snyder episode. And he said that uh, we made him a believer in the Snyder movies. So, you know, and that wasn't the objective. We just wanted to have fun and, and, and talk about what we like about the movies. It wasn't to change anyone's mind. Anyway, but that was a nice response to get. <laughs> but so it's like, I know what it's like to, you know, be a fan of, of a take on a character. And it's, you know, it's not, a, not, a, not an opinion that's shared by a lot of people. And so with Wonder Woman, it's like, you know, I mean, it wasn't for me, but I don't know. I just feel like, there were there were just a lot of problems with it. Whereas I feel like with the Snyder stuff, and maybe people will disagree, but I feel like, you know, people had an issue with the tone and like just the overall approach to the character, which is one thing. Whereas with Wonder Woman, I just feel like, again, like there were just a lot of holes and a lot of problems and just a lot of, you know, it wasn't just like an overall take on the character. It was a problematic movie. DC movies, and again, not to, to take the tangent too far, um, they fall into the same trap that the Batman movies from the eighties and nineties fell into every movie they had to add one more villain, one more hero, one more character. And there's just too much to pay attention to. And a lot of people said, why on earth wasn't this movie just cheetah? Why wouldn't it just be, you know, she and, and Diana, you know, and maybe the wishing stone comes and she wishes she was like Diana and she slowly turns into the cheetah and that's it. And then she's like, you know, why do you have to have uh, Maxwell Lord, whatever his name was, which apparently the powers he had weren't even the powers he has in the, the Congo. Although when they did reference him that he was in Smallville, I did remember that episode, the guy that went around shaking everyone's hand all the time and sort of convincing them what to do. Um it, it just seemed like they, again, they tried to put too much into one movie and none of it really made any sense. You know, and we won't even get into the fact that everyone's talking about how Diana, like actually for all intents and purposes, raped that guy because he wasn't, it was his body, but it wasn't his mind. So it's like a little creepy and she didn't seem to mind doing it. <laughs> it's so, you know, honestly, with any of these movies, it's always so weird to me when stuff like that gets through because you think about you know this isn't like a little independent movie where the filmmaker had yeah. you know it's like there's so many layers here and corporate structure and like all this and it's like to get through all these levels and no one was like uh i, th I think this is a little problematic yeah. it, it's crazy to me okay so so what are the, we'll get back to star wars what are the equivalents so basically wonder woman's moral ambiguity about what she did is one of the main character trait false Superman snapping Zod's neck was a character trait fault. He would never do that. I mean, as far as I know, he would never literally just snap some guy. Look, fighting doomsday, he had to stop him, but somehow it seemed out of character. I remember you saying, what the heck did they do? And he shouldn't be snapping Zod's neck. It makes no sense. So what is this thing that these guys have with taking these characters and their core values and basically saying, yeah, but for the sake of really bad writing, we can just throw these values out. We don't need them. I mean, it's like, why use those characters then? So I've actually amended my stance on the, the snapping of the neck. Oh. Yeah. And because initially, yeah, I was, you know, it was jarring to see that. 
Uh, although there is precedent in the comics. I mean, he doesn't snap Zod's neck, but he kills the three Kryptonian criminals in, at the end of the John Byrne run. You know, he executes them. And in Superman 2, I just did an episode uh, with Ken Marion about Superman 2, and that's coming out uh, in March. But we talk about that where there is a deleted scene from Superman 2 where you see Zod and Nan and Ursa getting carted away by the North Pole police. But uh, that's a deleted scene. In the movie, it looks like they're dead. They fall into the, you know, you know, they fall in the fortress and it looks like that's kind of it for them. And Superman, you know, is, is, is pretty content about it. In any event, I felt like upon rewatching and, and sort of reconsidering the Snyder movies, and I said this in the other episode, but for anyone who didn't listen, it's like, yes, it's wonderful that Superman, he's a man of high ideals, right? He's, he's he'll always find another way, but it's like, He's able to find another way because the writers give him another way. So it's like this, sh like if he's really in a tough spot and he has to make that choice. And, you know, the fact that he was choosing, you know, his adopted world at the expense of, you know, his last connection to his home world. I mean, I thought that, you know, that resonated in any event. Like, again, I, I, I came around to it. But going back to Wonder Woman, and I don't know if you're familiar with the comic book storyline where Wonder Woman snaps Maxwell Lord's neck in the comic. Oh no! So I think that pro I think so. I think Man of Steel did pose problems for Wonder. Woman. I don't know that they would have had Wonder Woman do that in this movie, but I think mm. you know they they definitely <laughs> it couldn't have been like oh my god these heroes just snap necks left and right. So it's like they had to come up with something else as far as how they you know ultimately dealt with uh, Maxwell. Yes. Lord. See the problem I have with the Superman one, and it's just, it's the same thing. You know, it's like when, in Kingdom Come when when uh, Magog is is saying to Superman, you know the reason I became the hero of tomorrow or the man of tomorrow is because you wouldn't do what was necessary to stop everyone. And that's why the Joker ended up taking out Lois Lane and everybody at the Daily Planet. So if they're willing to go so far as to say Spider uh, Superman will kill, then by that reason, there shouldn't be any villains left on the planet because he's willing to do whatever he needs to do to stop criminals from doing their thing. So then it sort of negates, you know, the whole genre because ideally he should be able to just stop anybody he needs to wow know? but like so that, man still, why, he's not killing willy-nilly i mean this was no, like an no, extreme no, saying that it's like you know there shouldn't be you know any villains left because superman should just be like look i'm going to stop you you know and that's <laughs> it and i'm not going to let you get away with anything but that's neither here nor there it's that, that, that's like the equivalent to the argument about han shooting first but going back to your point about, uh, you know, with Star Wars, and, and I agree with this completely, you know, you really see in this new trilogy uh, how valuable Kevin Feige is to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's like when you have someone, mm -hmm. you know, with a strong guiding hand who, who has a plan and loves the material, the source material, it's like, what a difference. Because I know you're, you know, I guess Star Wars comes first and then Marvel, or Marvel primarily, you would say, give the edge well, to Marvel. You know, it, it, it's Star Wars was always my first love and then i was out of it for a while and uh the marvel movies resonate specifically because i was always a huge fan of thanos and the infinity gauntlet storyline and everything else and even though obviously everything veered off course tremendously versus the actual comic books um the fact that i was even seeing who essentially was a sierra d-list villain be the basis of a 10-year plan and 22 movies and billions of dollars from Marvel. I was like, you know, who on earth would have ever seen this? Why would you, you know, and it, it, I guess what it, what it really comes down to is, well, because Marvel licensed out everyone, all their A and B and C-list characters, 
Because even the Avengers, compared to the X-Men and the Fantastic Four and this and that over the years, I mean, Rich Roney might argue this. I mean, Iron Man wasn't A-list compared to Wolverine and Spider-Man and the Hulk and stuff like that. I mean, he's one of the originals, don't get me wrong, and he was in the Avengers. But when it comes down to it, that's why the Avengers weren't licensed out by Marvel. Probably because everyone said, well, you know, I mean, did Marvel hold on to them? Did other people say, I'd rather have the X-Men, I'd rather have the Fantastic Four, rather have the Hulk or Spider-Man? Probably. But they finally said, okay, what can we do with the Avengers? We need something big. We need something bad. We want to have this long-term plan that we're going to work on. And for me, it was like, you know, what are the odds it was going to be Thanos? You know, so I said to Gina, I said, besides with Thanos being dead and there being a delay in new movies coming out, I think I could, I think I said to her in all honesty, I said, you know what, if they never came out with another Marvel movie again, I don't think I'd care because I've actually seen what I wanted to see most. Now, if they, if they finally bring Adam Warlock and the Silver Surfer and Galactus, I obviously want to see that stuff. I don't care about Black Widow back in Russia. You know, I don't care about, you know, I'm, we're watching WandaVision, but it's like, well, it's on TV. Would I go to the movie theater to see WandaVision, a two-hour episode? And probably not. I'd wait for it to be on TV again, you know. But uh, it's crazy. But that again, to tie it into Wonder Woman and Superman, I know nothing about DC characters. And my father is always my sounding board on a movie. We always go to see the movies together. Dad, what'd you think? Yeah, it was another movie. It was entertaining. I was turned off my brain for two hours because he doesn't know about the characters. He doesn't know if they're doing something quote unquote wrong versus what's supposed to be happening in the comics. That's why I know that I really like the Marvel stuff because it was completely different from the comics. I still thought it was great. When I walk into a DC movie with no expectations and simply say, I just want to be entertained with a good story. And I walk out and say, I wasn't really entertained. Then I say to myself, you know what? It must not have been a very good story. So, you know, and and that's what the three Star Wars movies were. That's what episodes seven, eight, and nine were. I said, this story is ridiculous. You know, I said, there, there, there is no story almost. It's just like, you know, a bunch of episodes and a bunch of scenes thrown together just to make a two hour movie that you can sell a ticket for. Yeah, that's the thing. And it's like, you know, my heart goes out to, you know, you and other Star Wars fans because it's like, I don't like I don't really have a horse in that race. And I because I was reflecting on this, like I I'm more of a Star Wars fan now because of the Mandalorian, to be honest. But, you mm-hmm. know, I saw, you know, I mean, I was born in the late 80s. I saw the original trilogy when they did the 90s theatrical re-release. Yeah, the special editions. And that was when I saw them for the first time in theaters as a kid. So, you know, I, I definitely remembered enjoying them. Like, I had a good time and, you know, I, I definitely came away with a positive view of, of Star Wars. But at the same time, I don't think it was the magical experience that, like, kids of your generation had when they saw it the first time. It just, you know, what, and maybe in part because, like, I've, I had seen other things that had been, you know, influenced and inspired by it, right? But it's like, mm-hmm. I still liked it. And then, you know, again, it's still as a young kid and then you know through my teen years saw the prequels and you know i like the third one you know the best that was the best of the three yeah um but i again like when phantom menace came out i think i was in eighth grade like i don't i don't think i really had that much of an opinion on it to be to be honest and then i was excited for the new ones you know I, you know i like jj abrams and the fact that they were bringing it back and and all that stuff um yeah overall though they were not <laughs> not, not were- great <laughs> But you, you want to know what? It's, it's funny. There's a uh, there's a YouTube channel. There's a guy named Red Letter Media who I haven't watched any of his stuff for a long time. But he did, like, back when YouTube only allowed 
10 minute segments at a time, you know, 10 years ago, whatever it was, he did six or seven or eight segment reviews of each of the prequel movies. And it was half comedic and half serious talking about it. But basically the problems with the prequels were the same problem with the three sequels is that uh, you didn't care about any of the characters. It's like you sort of felt that none of the characters, and this was especially the prequel movies and the Phantom Menace, none of the characters mattered. Like supposedly Anakin is supposed to be really the protagonist, but nothing he does affects what's going on in the movie. It's just everything happens sort of in spite of him and this and that. It's not about Obi-Wan. It's not about, you know, the, the original trilogy was, hey, here's this kid and, and, you know, there's Luke and there's Leia and there's Han. And Han, for as good as he's supposed to be, is more of a braggart than anything and sort of, you know, works his way out of things. Uh, but Luke and Leia, like, the odds were against them. I mean, and obviously the Empire really shows that, but they needed to learn, they needed to mature, they needed to work together. None of them could do it on their own. And they had a serious villain to defeat. And, you know, they, they won by the, the skin of their teeth in the first movie. In the second movie, they got completely decimated. And even the fourth movie, I mean, I mean the third movie, you know, you knew they were going to win eventually just because you know how movies end. But it was still like, you know, damn, what's, you know, who, who might they kill? You know, Lando was supposed to die at the end of Return of the Jedi originally. But they decided not to kill him. He was supposed to, the Millennium Falcon was supposed to get taken out when the Death Star blew up. You know, the original title was Revenge of the Jedi, not Return of the Jedi. But they said a Jedi doesn't take revenge, so we have to take it, change it to Return. So, you know, a few little things like that. But the prequels and the, and more of the sequels, like you weren't worried about anything happening to the characters. And it had nothing to do with the fact that you just know the good guys eventually win because it's the formula. But Ray, who had never held a lightsaber before, who had never flown, certainly the Millennium Falcon before, but you don't know if she's ever flown anything, is suddenly piloting, you know, the ship through downed star destroyers and outrunning trained Imperial pilots, which doesn't really say much of anything because they can't hit the broadside of a barn. But, she, you know, it, you, I know everyone referred to her as a Mary Sue, and, and I won't go so far as to say that per se, but when, when the protagonist or the character you're supposed to be rooting for has no chance of losing when, there's, when you're not scared for whoever it is, they're not a very interesting character. So that's why this movie, I said, who am I supposed to be rooting for here? It's like the villains are like, it's like Monty Python the villains it's like they're not serious they're 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 you know like the one like the the redheaded guy who was like you know looked like the hitler youth guy like i didn't know if i was supposed to be laughing or scared of him whenever he spoke because he was so like william shatner over the top when he was doing things and all i think about is is again monty python benny hill these english comedies of these villains who are like, yeah, you're the villain, but you're like, you know, Leslie Nielsen from Airplane villain type guy where you're just waiting for something funny to happen. Um, there was nothing at stake in any of these movies. Like, you know, and, and even the, uh, you know, the 
the carrot of the original characters of Luke and Leia and Han, they basically just reduced them down to their stereotypes and worthless and made them worthless old people. And, and, you know, Han was a taxi driver in the first movie, Leia, poor Carrie Fisher, who I don't know how much they had to rehabilitate her to actually get her to be able to act and not look like, you know, completely broken down. You know, Mark Hamill wasn't even the first uh, sequel. It, it really turned me off because not only did they, uh, in my opinion, create just a very poor movie just overall, but they really destroyed the legend and what you loved about the original trilogy characters. You could tell that they were brought in for no reason other than to be completely torn down and discarded so that there would be no question that these new characters were who you were supposed to follow moving forward. Problem is they didn't have a plan for the new characters. Nothing. I mean, you could, you know, Finn, who is this huge part of the first movie, basically faded into a, an obscure sideline character in the second and third. We really didn't affect any, anything. Uh, you know, again, the, uh, the, that character Rose that they introduced, I think in the second movie, the, the, the Asian character, that poor actress who got harassed terribly because of her character. I don't know if she's a good actress or not. Her character was terrible. I didn't like her character. I didn't care that she was Asian. I just didn't like the character. Um, she certainly didn't deserve the abuse. It's it's like Ahmad Best, who's the character that played Jar Jar Binks right. in the Phantom Menace. He was the the voice actor and the, and the motion capture actor. And I, I I think back on this guy. And I think, man, I said this this kid when he was cast he must have been so excited. He said, "I'm going to be in a new Star Wars movie." People have been waiting, you know, one and a half decades for this. This is this is my break. This is it. I'm going to be a big star, this and that. And he was so maligned and the character was so hated. And I said, man, I feel terrible. This guy must've been on cloud nine thinking that this was it. And the movie they wrote and just the storyline and the uh, overt, you know, racism of most of the characters in the films, or at least the, you know, the, the, negative stereotypes of the characters they portrayed. I felt so terrible. I, I think he got out of acting forever. And that's different from Jake Lloyd, who played Anakin, who was just young and just really wasn't a great actor because he hadn't been able to develop it yet. And, you know, people referring to him as mannequin because he was so stiff when he was acting. Mean, he, he's a kid. So it's like, you know, he was the lucky kid that got the part. Um but like a mod best, I felt so bad. So that's the same thing with the actress that played Rose and some of the other characters, even where it's like, you know, they they thought they were getting a big break, and the fandom was so vicious. I mean, I hated the movie, so don't get me wrong, but I didn't hold it against the actors or the actresses. I purely place it the blame on the stories that were written, and even the directors, unless they were involved in the story writing, only has so much control. They have to work with what they're given in terms of dialogue and, and plot line and everything else. But it's amazing how those three movies just so turned me off of the Star Wars property completely. It's, it's amazing. You know, they say fans are fickle. I mean, it was, really, it was one of these things where I'm like, well, I just really don't care about Star Wars anymore. I just completely tuned out of it. It was, you know, it's not like I had a collection of Star Wars stuff that I suddenly sold. Not that 
any of your listeners will be able to see it, but you might, you might see uh, Darth Vader behind me on the wall. And then in, in front of me, I've got four uh, things, including a Darth Vader painting that, that Jay Mangold painted for me is hanging up on the wall. So I still, you know, love this stuff like that. But for a while, I was just like, I don't care about Star Wars. I don't care. Something new is coming out. What do I care? Something new is coming out. The last 10 things I've watched have been terrible, you know, and in Disney, when they took over the property, the greatest thing about Star Wars, the expanded universe. And again, I don't read books, but all the books, the novels, the comic books, the video games, the role-playing games, everything. And Disney's like, yeah, that doesn't count anymore. So what do you mean it doesn't count anymore? We spent the last 20 years reading this. This is what's kept Star Wars alive. This is the only reason why there's any value in this property. It's because people like me that loved it growing up had a story they wanted to write. And Lucas said, yeah, go ahead and write it. And people love this stuff. And little by little, you're seeing all the best parts reintroduced into what Disney is doing. So some of the characters in The Mandalorian are from this expanded universe stuff and characters from Clone Wars and everything else. Uh, But, you know, it's amazing how, you know, decades of, of loving a property can be turned off so quickly when someone who clearly doesn't understand what made a property magical and loved just massacres it in, in the name of bringing in new fans. And that's why the Mandalorian is great. I think even John Favreau said, you know, there's no reason you can't appeal to the older fans while still making it enjoyable to the new fans. It's like, everyone talks about fatigue. There's star Wars fatigue. There's Marvel fatigue. There's no, 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 no. If you write a good movie, there's no fatigue. You know, either they, you know why Marvel did so well because the movies in general were good. That's why there was no fatigue for 10 years. That's why you could have three movies a year and they were making a billion dollars each because they were good. (laughs) It's not about fatigue. It's about making a good movie that appeals to people. So they want to watch it. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, I'm glad that the Mandalorian has, you know, kind of brought that magic back for you. Cause yeah, I mean, it's sad to think that, you know, again, you grew up loving these movies and, and uh, you know, this this whole world and to be so turned off that, I mean, again, like it's shocking to me that you wouldn't even see, you know, the the most recent ones in theater. But it's like, you know, at the same time, you know, I, I respect that. And that's and again, kind of going back to what you're saying about the, you know, the toxicity and the fandom and, you know, harassing actors online like that. That's not the way. Like, right. What is no. the way? Right. Like you like you vote with your wallet, you know. Right. And so you didn't support this version that was you know being told on screen and you didn't go to see it in the theaters and although i know obviously you ultimately watch them uh yeah i mean i sort of got to the point where i i really said to myself like do do i even like star wars really because again like i had this experience of liking the originals as a kid not really liking the the prequels not being blown away by the sequels i I, although i did really i did like rogue one i really did Mm -hmm. like rogue one solo was fine i didn't really i didn't have a strong opinion on it i was like it was solid to take it or leave it movie yeah Yeah. like it was fine um but i just especially after the you know the the rise of skywalker i was just like i just i don't think i'm really a star wars fan but we heard such great things about mandalorian and we watched it and uh, i i will be honest the first few episodes it was like a little a little slow and i was like i don't know if this i really i had i did have a moment where i'm like you know what this isn't really doing it for me and if this isn't the thing that everyone's loving right now i really might not be a star wars fan but as we worked our way through the rest of the first season and even more so in the second season uh yeah i really dug it and i won't lie the the cuteness of baby yoda yes that was a factor but i think it was more so as as new parents 
we we identified in in a weird way, you know, with uh, you know, with taking care of him and like the episode where Grogu is uh, is eating the eggs. Yep. And like, don't eat that. That's what we do for most of our day. Is like Milo. What do you, like? What are you? What are you doing? What are you eating? So like, that really resonated with us. Um, but no, I'm I'm glad that that that's there for for you, for me, for for fans. And yeah, I think that does show that you can you know, tell a story that does appeal to the, you know, fans of the originals while also, you know, not just rehashing the same stories, but actually doing something different. Like you can find that balance. Well, you know, it's funny because I watch this stuff and discounting the clone wars, which certainly happened during the prequel movies, it happened between, uh, the clone between the attack of the clones and revenge of the Sith episodes two and three. I think if I said, I like the original trilogy. I liked rogue one, which happened immediately before the original star Wars. I love the Mandalorian, which is five years after return of the Jedi. And it's still the empire. It's not the first order from see. And I think to myself, is it just that it's basically, it's just one period of Star Wars that I like, as opposed to the Star Wars brand? Is it that basically I like the Empire, I like the way that the original Stormtroopers look, I like those characters. Now, it could be that the way these movies are made, and I I can't remember who directed Rogue One, and uh, maybe, and the intent of what the Mandalorian is just to really feel like Star Wars. Maybe it's just pure coincidence that they're purposely designed to have the same feel and the same look to them. The One of the great things about the original Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, and people have said this, is that the universe looks used. It looks like a real universe. It doesn't look like movie sets. You know, when they make the Stormtrooper armor, it's not all shiny white, unless they're in the Death Star. They're on tattooing. It's dirty. It's dented. It's dinged up. It's, it looks real. And one of the things people complained about when Return of the Jedi came out, they said it didn't have the same feel because it did a lot more shooting on on sets as opposed to out, you know, in the wild, as it were. And they used the, uh, you know, like they went to Tunisia, you know, overseas when they did the original Star Wars. Well, they went to like, you know, Death Valley in California (laughs) to film in Return of the Jedi. So the locales just didn't even feel right. You know, they went to the Redwood Forest, you know, Marin County to do Endor. It's like, well, you know, everybody knows what California looks like. Everybody knows what the desert in California looks like. You know, if you look on TV, you know, but nobody, you know, but Tunisia looks a little different. You know, that's not really, although it looks a little bit like areas of New Mexico and Arizona, to be honest. Um but the new movies were were too clean. Like even looking at uh, whatever planet it was, Jakku, I think that that uh, Ray came from. It, it looked like a movie set. It looked like they just built something out in California. So it just didn't have the right feel. So I think a lot of it has to do with which of these movies actually allow you to be absorbed into the universe allow you to suspend disbelief and do it the prequels were so digitized everything was digital that you just the whole time you're watching it like i know it's all fake i know half the characters aren't real let alone the city and the, wherever they're sitting you know it's probably guys sitting on lawn chairs you don't even know if the characters are even dressed in costume 
whether it was just thrown onto them afterwards. So that probably has something to do with, you know, it obviously that, you know, the magic of the original trilogy from being a kid and then seeing a movie or a TV show that brings that same look, the same feel of the music. Is it, do you, I mean, how often did you find yourself humming part of the theme to the Mandalorian before and after you were watching an episode, or if you heard part of it, the opening credits to the closing credits, you knew exactly what it was. Yeah. I don't remember a single piece of music from the sequel trilogy. None. I'm a huge soundtrack guy. All everything I listen to is basically soundtracks. I've got the original trilogy. Obviously I've got the rogue one soundtrack. I have the, the prequel trilogy because some of that stuff I remember, but but seven, eight, and nine, like that's how I know if I liked a movie. Do I want to buy the soundtrack? I had the Wonder Woman soundtrack. I liked it. Wonder Woman 1984, I don't even remember any of the music. It just none of it struck a chord with me. That's my barometer. Do I remember the music? Do I want to buy the soundtrack so that when I'm listening to the music, I, re- I can remember the scene that I really liked in the movie? I don't own any DC soundtracks, I don't think. Wonder Woman, maybe Aquaman. I thought Aquaman was good. I enjoyed that. It was goofy. It was silly, you know? I mean, I'm a, uh, I'm a fan of the Hans Zimmer score from, from Man of Steel and his, his work on Batman v Superman. I liked, I did like part of the Wonder Woman 84. It's funny because, like, I, li- I listened to the soundtrack before the movie came out. They released the soundtrack for mm-hmm. 84. And uh, the first couple in particular, like the Themyscira, you know, that whole, uh, you know, contesting. Oh, this is great. Yeah. You know, I, I thought it, it, it bode, you know, <laughs> I thought it, you know, uh, would, would lead to a, a great movie, but sadly that was <clears throat> short lived. But, you know, as you're talking about, especially with the, the, the new Star Wars movies and their treatment of the original characters, you know, it, it, and again, I'll save this for a Superman podcast, but that was the way that I felt when Tom Welling returned as Clark Kent in the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover right like i was so excited it's like oh man like this is my favorite version of the character and he's back like i never thought i would see this again as much as we've been seeing revivals and all that stuff but for him in particular i was like i just don't i don't know that i will ever see it and i was so excited and then i saw the the path that they took with him and i was just like uh like not only do like exactly like you said not only do i not like it but it there is that element of like tarnishing the original show and like my view of it i mean you know, it's nothing that like so turned me off where I where I'm like I would never watch Smallville again. It wasn't that bad, but it just you know I, I just strongly disagreed with it. So like I get even though I don't have the attachment to the Star Wars characters, like I get the feeling. Yeah. Now I never watched any of that crossover stuff. What it and I watched Smallville for the most part, uh, but not not the later seasons when it just got a little over the top for me. What exactly did they do to Tom Welling's version of Superman that you didn't like? Like, what was it that they, how did they change him or what did they have him do that turned you off? Yeah, so it's been out for over a year, but listeners, a spoiler warning. Uh, they We find out, he's only in one scene. It's like one four-minute scene. Uh, but we find out that he uh, gave up his powers and uh, now is living uh, normal life on the farm with Lois and their daughters. So he, he Superman too'd? Yes, he basically went to Jorel and said, I love her. And they're like, well, step into the, the box and we'll take away your powers. And again, I'll, I have a whole episode planned on this. So I'll, I'll uh, have listeners just uh, tune into that. But I just felt like it undermined the journey that he went on over the course of Smallville and, and especially where he ended his journey. Um, it just felt like, you know, if 
you had taken Clark from like almost any other point in the series and said, this could be your ending. He would love it. But by the time he got to the end of the series, like he had fat, like he had reconciled both sides of himself. And so the idea yeah. that, you know, he would give it up like relatively quickly after the end of the series <laughs> just felt like, uh, this just doesn't ring true to me. Well, it's funny because one of the things that, that Gina says about Endgame, <laughs> she's like, you know, Captain America is kind of a dick. He convinced, <laughs> he convinced Tony to save everybody and he dies. And then he goes back and lives his own life. <laughs> you know, basically says, Tony, do me a favor, sacrifice yourself so everyone can come back. See you later. Then he disappears for 75 years. And he's like, and Gina's like, why did he do that? That's not very nice of him to do. And I said, you know, I never really thought of it that way. But I guess you're kind of right. It's kind of messed up. Oh, but, I didn't think like, of it that way either. Next time I watch yeah, it, I'll it's, have it's to like Tony dies mind. and like Pepper's <laughs> completely, you know, shattered and, and the little girl has no father anymore. And he's like, I'll be right back. I'm just going to put this stuff back where I need to. And yeah, he did come back technically, you know, according to them. But he, you know, himself took like a 75 year <laughs> side tour to, to live the life that he missed before. It's like, wait a second, that's a little messed up. I said, Gina, you want to know what? I said, these are the things that a non-fan looks at. You know, they, they watch it and they're not looking at it to say, does this match what really happens in the story? Does this make sense for the character? They look at it and say, wow, that was really mean. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe that he did that. I said, you want to know what? I never even, I never even thought of it that way. I said, but yeah, it was kind of messed up now that I look back on it. Yeah, it's interesting to get that perspective. And, and But even, you know, for us as fans, like, I, you know, it, it's tough. I feel like it cuts both ways because like on the one hand, you know, we love this stuff. And it makes us excited when there's a new, you know, a new Star Wars movie or, you know, a new Superman project. But it's like you have that attachment and you have those expectations. And then when, you know, things don't and whether it's not matching up with the comics or like in the case of, of the TV crisis, like that for me, like my objections had nothing to, to do with the comics. It was just like this version that I had watched, you know, on on the show. So, uh, you know, it can I know it's it's tough sometimes. One thing that I wanted to ask you about with uh, the new Star Wars movies, there was this idea, right, in The Last Jedi that was very quickly abandoned in the next movie. <laughs> but the idea that, like, anyone could wield the Force, right? Like, you didn't have to be a certain bloodline. Like, you could you could potentially tap into it. Like, what did you think of that notion? Well, it, it completely contradicts the fact that the prequel trilogy introduced the midi-chlorians, which right. are these little... You know, thing that, and and when the midi-chlorians were introduced, I was pissed. I was like, wait a second. I said, that sucks. I said, I thought that basically anybody, if they had the proper training, but more importantly, basically believed could potentially become a Jedi. Now, it's possible that everybody, I mean, again, I haven't looked into it this much. Maybe everybody has midi-chlorians. Maybe everybody, to some extent, could wield the Force to a very limited degree. Uh, and it's the Jedi that are just above some, you know, it's like taking the SATs, you know, you can get any score and go to college, but you need that. We had like a perfect score to go to, you know, Jedi college. Um, you know, the, the fact that they introduced it took away the magic of everything because then it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with belief or ability per se. It was just the genetic lottery which was like, yeah, that kind of stinks. It was, it was much cooler when Han was just like, yeah, I just don't believe it. <laughs> and, and that's why he couldn't do it, but maybe realistically he could have. Um, 
so going back on that where it's like oh anybody can do it anybody, this and that i'm eh, you know again that's one of the reasons why the the sequels i was like what are they doing it's like they didn't even pay attention to any of the other material that had come before you know they're just like oh i recognize that guy mark hamill from the first two let's throw him in there except he's completely out of character and he's completely cut himself off from the force you know and and this and he's like hanging out you know again drinking blue milk from you know alien titties or so, I mean, it's like completely, you know, it's just, it's just not cool, you know, and, and Chewbacca is cooking that little creature in front of the other little creature's friends, getting ready to eat it, the little porgy things. He's like, literally like the other ones are hanging out with him and he's like eating one of their friends. It's like, yeah. <laughs> come on, you know, what is Han thinking? I mean, what is Chewie thinking? He's been alive during all of this. He knew Yoda. That's true you know, back in the day. So like he's watching all these, probably thinking, look at these idiots running around and not doing anything. It's like, you know, he's just like, I'm just going to be second fiddle. That's fine by me. I'll shoot a gun every now and again. I'm going to eat whatever animals we find and I'm good. But uh, like, yeah, and those, those movies. Because I know, like I know, you know, uh, Last Jedi in particular, I know people had a lot of issues with. Um, I, I, I just disliked it generally. I don't know. I was, I was bored, to be honest. I mean, you know, it, the whole thing was the chase, and I, I don't know, it just, it, it didn't do it for me. But the whole idea of, you know, again, any anyone being able to wield the Force, um, you know, again, I wasn't thinking back to the, the midichlorians, but I thought it was like, okay, like, that's cool, and the little kid with the broom, I'm like, all right, it's an interesting idea, but it's like, yeah, right, then, of course, uh, you know, that points to the larger issue with the lack of an overall vision for these when that was, you know, instantly under. And, of course, the whole thing that, you know, in Last Jedi, right, that Rey was was nobody, right, which is very quickly undone. So, yeah, I mean, I think those movies certainly suffer from uh, the lack of a, of a Feige or a Favreau, like someone who, you know, like really gets it and loves it and has a cohesive vision for it. Um, but, you know, I'm glad that, again, I'm glad that... Uh, and not only Mandalorian, but it's like they've announced a whole ton of stuff. Are you excited for the other shows? Yeah, you, you know what? They have a lot of stuff coming out, and I can't say that I have looked into everything or that everything is interesting, but they've definitely, at least it seems, learned to say, okay, what characters do people like and what storylines do they like, and let's try and expand upon it. Now, hopefully they don't ruin it by doing that. Hopefully they don't retcon anything and do any other craziness. Um. I'm looking forward to the Ahsoka series because it's supposed to, as far as I know, have her searching for Grand Admiral Thrawn and a character called Ezra Bridger, who are uh, Thrawn was introduced actually back in the the novels that came out in the '90s, but then was reintroduced in uh, the Rebels cartoon along with his character Ezra Bridger, who was a new character for that, and is actually a Jedi. So there was some thought that in the Mandalorian if a Jedi came, maybe it would be Ezra Bridger, uh, obviously ended up being Luke. Um, so that should hopefully be interesting, but you know, it, it's like the Marvel Netflix shows that were 10 or 11 episodes. You're saying, you know, this really could have been six and it would have been much better. I just hope they don't feel like they need to create an eight or a 10 episode season versus just telling a good story and everything, you know, and it's like the, the Mandalorian people are complaining. Like, Why are the episodes getting shorter and shorter and shorter? You know, some of the episodes were 29 minutes, 30 minutes, as opposed to what people would expect to be 45 or 50 minutes, or maybe even an hour. And, and 
thankfully what happened is they said, look, we've got, you know, we've got five hours of a good story and we can either try and stretch that out into eight hour long episodes or take eight episodes and have some be 40 minutes and some be a half hour, this and that, but not compromise on the story. And I think that's what hopefully they're going to do with these other TV shows is not be forced into what I call the ultimate universe comic book line, which is where they said, look, we need a, a six or an eight issue story arc to put out a trade paperback. So I need a missile being launched at Wolverine to be spread out over 12 pages without any dialogue. And we see the missile move a foot in each thing and Wolverine get hit in a, because otherwise we're not going to hit that number of pages we need. <laughs> You know, and that's why they loved who was it, Bendis doing the writing, where they'd be like, did you hear about that? Yeah, I heard about that. No, but really, did you hear about that? No, I definitely heard about it. Okay, I just wanted to make sure you heard about it. I totally heard about it. Good, because it's important that you heard about that. I certainly did. Meanwhile, you have no idea what it is they're talking about, what it is anyone's supposed to hurt. But they do that over the course of like, you know, they draw one image and then they they copy and paste it into the other six panels and have that stupid thing. It's like, come on, guys. That's why it takes... 30 seconds to read a comic book nowadays. You know, as long as they don't do that with these TV shows and they actually make them quality and they're good, then again, there's not going to be any burnout with 10 shows if all 10 shows are good. If it's just they're putting 10 shows out there because they want to get another million subscribers at Disney Plus, it's not going to work. Right. They're, going to, they're going to kill everything again. You know, I didn't know, I didn't think we would get to your ultimate Bendis impression, but I'm glad we did because it's a classic and I haven't heard it in a while, but it, it always <laughs> makes me laugh. No, but it's true. And like with the shows in particular, it's like, you know, the, the story should dictate the number of episodes and the number of seasons and the duration of episodes, not the other way around. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I like we gave up on the, all the Marvel Netflix shows. Like we have a season of each of them left. I don't know if if or when we'll get to them, but like that was my biggest problem with them because I loved for the most part. Uh, I thought the casting was great and like there were some cool moments and I liked the overall take on the character. But my good lord, those episodes were so slow and it's like they did not mm -hmm. need thirteen hour long episodes. The thing no. that drove me nuts was with Defenders that was shorter and I was like, all right, great, like this is what I've been I've been calling for, but even that dragged. So it's like, <laughs> you know, I really, uh, but I think. You know, with with Favreau, and I, I think Disney now has seen the success. They well, obviously they've seen it, but yeah. I think the I, the idea is to sort of take, uh, you know, like the Marvel formula a bit, right? Like with these, you know, to have you know the the multiple shows, but they all kind of you know can kind of cross pollinate and tease the other and all that stuff. So, you know, hopefully they learn from what what they've had amazing success with with these other shows. And it's like, yeah, something could be one season or a couple of seasons. You know, it doesn't need they don't all need to be you know, these uh, epic runs. No, and and what the pro the producers and the, and the directors and the writers, and I don't know about the producers so much, but directors and the writers consider themselves artists and they want to put their mark on everything. And this isn't just Marvel and, and DC and whatever. This is anybody that's creating anything. But they have to understand why this stuff, comic books and Star Wars, has survived for as long as it has. And that's because people liked what came out in the beginning. I mean, if you read early comic books, I mean, they're really cheesy. I know. Too, you know, you know and, and you look at, you know, the early issues. And again, I'm not a DC guy, but you look at the early stuff with, with, 
Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. I mean, this stuff is terrible. I mean, I, I mean, stuff's gotten more sophisticated nowadays, obviously. But you look at it and you wonder how on earth did this stuff survive as long as it did? Now, X-Men actually got canceled originally until they revived it in the 70s. And you think about the mythos of the characters. You think about everything. And then you have to think, you want to know what? This stuff didn't happen in the first issue or the second issue or the third this is stuff that's happened over 20, 30, or 40, or 50 years. Um, so I can so I can understand where making a movie can be difficult because you're like, well, how do I fit 50 years of anything to make this interesting? I need I just need to do the origin story. Well, the origin was 15 pages. How do you make a two-hour movie out of 15 pages? Which is why they introduce all these different things and different characters and other nonsense. I sort of get that. But that doesn't mean that you completely stray away from what the origin story was or that you completely dismiss the other story elements that you can take. They need to understand that Dr. Doom is cool because he created this suit of armor. It's one of his things. So he doesn't need to get hit with cosmic rays like the Fantastic Four do and start growing metal on his skin and shoot electricity. I mean, it's not who the character is. Why are you taking that? Dr. Doom has been popular since <laughs> issue five of the Fantastic Four in 1961 or 62, whatever it was. So for 60 years, he's been the arch nemesis of the Fantastic Four. Can't you just give him his damn suit and let him be in the suit? And then, like, why? It's like all the X-Men movies, especially the, the, the three that came out a while ago, not the, not the newer stuff. Right. And you look at all the the mutants, and you're like, seriously? There's like 2,000 mutants you could choose from, and you're making up these characters for the movie? It's like, <laughs> that's not why the X-Men are popular. X-Men are popular because there's 2,000 characters that people like, or at least uh, there are enough of them you can put them in a movie. Why are you changing stuff around? It's like, why are you making these changes for your artistic life? I mean, you obviously have the license to use the stuff you're making in the movie, why are you changing it around? You know, so that's the problem with all this stuff. Use what use what made the property popular to begin with. Don't recreate the wheel. Take the wheel. <laughs> Go with the wheel. Roll the wheel. Put your paint the wheel however you want, but use the damn wheel already. You know. <laughs> gotcha. well, sometimes it gets sometimes it gets a little too thick, like the the. Uh, what was the uh, like Sin? Not Sin City. Maybe it was Sin City or. Some stuff is, is too close and it's like literally, hey, let's just rip the comic book apart and use it as a storyboard. And like, that's just boring. I don't need to see that. But again, Star Wars, Mandalorian, that's what we're supposed to be chatting about. They took the source material and expanded on it. Boba Fett's supposed to be the baddest bounty hunter in the universe. You know, we never got to see that. But you know what? Let's bring him back. Let's write him into the storyline. We're not going to make him the main character. He's going to be a supporting character, but let's show why he was so feared. And that gives us old folks. We're like, wow, we finally got to see this guy. We finally got to see why he was supposed to be so great. But all the new people that love Mando and baby Yoda aren't worried about the fact that he got pushed to the side because Boba Fett came back, you know? So you can mix the two. You can take the old and do something a little different with it, but you don't have to stray away from what the old is or what the mythos is of it. 
And that's the problem that, that a lot of these movies have. Um, well, no, go ahead. I, I was, I one last thing just about Star Wars and, and the complete mess that they made of it, bringing Palpatine back at the end, which I think was sort of an emergency move because they didn't know what the heck they were doing. Yes, and I think that's evident by the fact that he is reintroduced in the opening crawl. It's like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? he, the fact that he was able to come back like that and still was in control of it completely negates Vader's sacrifice in Return of the Jedi. It completely means that, yeah, you basically, you did that for nothing. You know, Luke turning his father, like, it, it completely, again, the one last step in basically taking the original characters and throwing them out the window. It's like, hey, we're great that you had this huge struggle against the Empire and, and you've, you know, you won by turning the, you know, penultimate evil <laughs> around and then the ultimate evil being killed. But sorry, he's been back for the last three decades and uh, and he's creating this even bigger fleet of nonsense to, to come and destroy everything. It's like, uh, okay, enough's enough. Uh, I don't need this. I don't need like a fifth Death Star, <laughs> you know, to destroy. No good. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, I always love when we when I can, you know, listen to you talk about Star Wars, because, again, it's it's not something that, you know, has really meant much to me. But it's like I know that it does to you. And, uh, you know, I know as these movies have been coming out over the past few years, like, you know, <laughs> I would ask you about it. And, uh, you know, again, I know uh, they they were a disappointment for you. But again, I'm glad that, uh, you know, we have the these Disney shows and all of that. And then, you know, I don't know, you know, if the people listening to this, how many Star Wars fans, I'm sure there are, are quite a bunch. And I'm sure that uh, a lot of what you said, you know, probably resonated with them. And, mm-hmm. you know, they probably have their own experience of, of, you know, kind of falling in love with it as you did as well so is there anything else that uh that you wanted to talk about sir what did what did you and stephanie enjoy most about mandalorian like what was it about that that you enjoyed as much as you did probably mando in the caretaker role and you know seeing the the lengths he was willing to go to uh you know in in defense of grogu that i mean that that really uh that really did it for us um you know like like the characters they brought in from you know like from the cartoon i mean again i had no you know, uh, prior experience with them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, other than like I had read articles, but like it wasn't anything that I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. So, but I think that's a testament to the strength of the show where it's like, it's still, you know, worked for us. Right. And so for someone, you know, like yourself who was familiar with the expanded universe, it's like, Oh, that's great. They're bringing in this character. But for us, it was just like, Oh, like this was a good episode and that character worked well in it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now for sake of argument, do you think the show will still work if Grogu is officially gone now. I can't imagine a scenario where Grogu is like gone, gone. I mean, I feel like maybe we'll get two episodes without Grogu and then they'll have to reunite for some reason. I just, yeah, I don't know. Like, that's a really good question. I mean, given the, I mean, on the one hand, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say like, well, maybe they'll, you know, they'll come up with, you know, either another character or, you know, just a, a new story that really is fresh and engaging. But yeah, I don't know. If I had to put money on it, I would say by the third episode of the new season, they're reunited. I think there will be some time apart, but I think it'll be short-lived is my prediction. Yeah. Yeah, but how do you how do you justify it? You know, the, the last best Jedi, which is what Luke was referred to as, is now supposed to be training Grogu until such time as as Ben Solo destroys and kills everybody. I know that was, the, his, that was such a sad, like, you know, having that hanging over everything. It's like, oh God. 
No, that, that's, I mean, it's, it's almost equivalent to the Steve Rogers, you know, temporarily murdered Tony Stark and then went and lived his life. Um, you know, it's just the end of Grogu. Like, do we just know, well, he's not in the sequels. So something happens to him between now and then. And all we know is that Luke was draining a bunch of people and Ben killed them all. So it's like, hmm, <laughs> you know, but how do you justify Luke not keeping him? Right. You know, how on earth does Luke sense him and come to save him, knowing what this race has the potential to be? And basically after a few days, says, you want to know what? I'm just not up for being a parent. Mando, take the kid back. You know, I mean, it's like it doesn't. So, you know, where do they go from here? They have they created a monster? Have they unfortunately, by introducing this character, made the show unsustainable without him? I guess that's what we have to wait and see. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, I don't disagree. I think that is a, that is a major hurdle to overcome. Uh, again, I think, that, you know, they, I don't know. They, I'm sure they could come up with something, but, or I don't know. I mean, maybe more of the story now becomes, uh, you know, again, we've seen Mando a couple of times without his helmet. Maybe it becomes more about, uh, you know, him, you know, finding his way now. I mean, I don't know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll be curious to see what they do. You know, we're, we're definitely on board with it. You know, and I'm excited for the other shows too, especially the Obi Wan thing. I think that'll be cool. And I, yeah, you know, I'm be. curious. You know, they said you know Hayden Christensen is coming back as Anakin, and like mm, curious to see uh, if we can get some redemption for uh, his version of the character. Yeah. So, so again, I mean, with with Favreau, you know, running things, and and Dave Filoni, who's the guy that did Clone Wars, I think is helping out also. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they they reconcile all of that because you sort of assumed based on star Wars that he hadn't seen <laughs> the Vader hadn't seen Obi-Wan since, you know, Obi-Wan cut him up. Right. He said, when I left you, I was, but the learner. Now I'm the master. And that sort of infers that, yeah, I was your Padawan last time we saw each other. So how are they going to explain that they run into each other later? I mean, is it not the Padawan anymore, obviously? Um, is it going to be on Tatooine? In which case you'd think Vader would figure out, hey, wait a second. I think, uh, you know, I, I sent someone here that that feels like me. He would know that Luke was there. Or you think of anything, if he traced Obi-Wan down there, that he would, uh, he would go to the old moisture farm first looking for Ben, in which case he would run into his, you know, Uncle Owen in Amperu and Luke would be there. So it's going to be interesting how it works unless, you know, Obi-Wan, you know, goes off planet somehow, which I guess is entirely possible. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the thing. If it was Ryan Johnson or Jar Jar Abrams, as I refer to him, uh, doing this, I'd be more concerned with Favreau and Filoni in charge. I'm saying, you want to know what? They wouldn't do this if they couldn't explain everything in a way that would satisfy both the old fans and the new fans. So, I, I have faith that uh, that they'll do okay with it. We just have to wait and see, you know, how they go about doing it. Agreed. Well, look, I'm really glad we could have this conversation. And, uh, you know, again, for as much as, you know, uh, you know, you and I have like touched on Star Wars, but this is the longest conversation we've, we've had about it. And I know it's, it's been a big part of your life and your fandom. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm glad that we could uh, celebrate, celebrate your love of Star Wars on our Valentine's Day episode here. <laughs> yes. 
Um, but really, thank you for being part of this. It was good to see you. It was good to catch up. Yes, thank you. Yeah, even though your your adoring fans won't see me, we are doing this over Zoom, so we're able to look at each other. So I, I see all the Batmans and the Superman statues and a Catwoman behind you. Yeah, so, and here in Flat Squirrel so, Studios. So is is I haven't seen obviously your new home yet. Is this your uh, man cave that you're working out of? Yes, this is the this is the Flat Squirrel Studios, aka the home right. office. Uh, Steph does use it occasionally, like if she's teaching a class, but primarily, uh, this is the area I've been using, and it's it's why I've been podcasting as much as I have been because like I have a dedicated space for it, uh, nice. which you know I I didn't before, so that's made a huge difference. And uh, yeah, it's you know it's funny like as much as we talk about you know, the space of the comic shop, right? And that's been a driving theme in these various projects. But the idea of like the space generally, like even just to spur creativity and things like that, like I, I think really having this dedicated area has made a big difference for me. So oh, yeah, of course, uh, yeah, it's cool. So I got my, and what you can see across from me is my larger uh, bookcase of trade paperbacks. And um, you see one piece of art on the wall. I have a bunch, I have all my movie posters of the stuff that right. I made and some comic book art and stuff like that. So uh, it's been cool. And not having to break down and set up the equipment every time yeah, I you do don't this. Have to pack everything away every, yeah, yeah. yeah, you don't have to pack everything away, which in a weird way allows you to purchase better equipment. Cause you're like, well, I have room for nicer stuff to set it up and leave it there. I don't have to make do with a tape recorder and, and a little microphone to do this stuff anymore. So it, it's nice to, to have the space. Yeah. And there's a couch here that I bought, you know, figuring, oh, we'll have the in-studio guests. It'll be great. Eventually uh, we'll, we'll nice. get there. Uh, but again, uh, you know, I'm glad you and Gina are okay. I wish you both. Yes, we're doing well. Happy Thank Valentine's you. day. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you. You too. You too. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we will, we'll talk soon. Uh, and I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode of the longer Halloween. We'll be back at the beginning of March with our St. Patrick's day episode featuring fittingly who else Brian O'Day. So it should be a lot of fun. Again, make sure that you check out digging for kryptonite and my comic shop book club. And of course, don't be a flat squirrel. My comic shop history is a flat squirrel production art by Philtastic Phil Menza music by basic printer. If you like what you heard, be sure to listen to Digging for Kryptonite, available on most major podcast platforms. Sign up for exclusive content at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato and watch My Comic Shop Country out now on Apple TV and Amazon.